section thirty one of a compendious history of english literature and of the english language volume one this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org a compendious history of english literature and of the english language volume one by george lilly craik chapter four part seven barber this latter part of the fourteenth century is also the age of the birth of scottish poetry and chaucer had in that dialect a far more worthy contemporary and rival than his friend and fellow englishman gower in john barber of barber's personal history but little is known he was a churchman and had attained to the dignity of archdeacon of aberdeen by the year thirteen fifty seven so that his birth cannot well be supposed to have been later than thirteen twenty he is styled archdeacon of aberdeen in a passport granted to him in that year by edward the third at the request of david de bruce that is king david the second of scotland to come into england with three scholars in his company for the purpose as it is expressed of studying in the university of oxford and the protection is extended to him and his companions while performing their scholastic exercises and generally while remaining there and also while returning to their own country it may seem strange that an archdeacon should go to college but oxford appears to have been not the only seat of learning to which barber resorted late in life with the same object three other passports or safe conducts are extant which were granted to him by edward at later dates the first in thirteen sixty four permitting him to come with four horsemen from scotland by land or sea into england to study at oxford or elsewhere as he might think proper the second in thirteen sixty five by which he is authorized to come into england and travel throughout that kingdom with six horsemen as his companions as far as to st denis in france and the third in thirteen sixty eight securing him protection in coming with two valets and two horses into england and travelling through the same to the king's other dominions on his way to france versus francium for the purpose of studying there and in returning thence yet he had also been long before this employed and in a high capacity in civil affairs in thirteen fifty seven he was appointed by the bishop of aberdeen one of his two commissioners deputed to attend a meeting at edinburgh about the ransom of the king nothing more is heard of him till thirteen seventy three in which year he appears as one of the auditors of exchequer being styled archdeacon of aberdeen and clerk of probation clerico probationis of the royal household in his later days he appears to have been in the receipt of two royal pensions both probably bestowed upon him by robert the second who succeeded david the second in thirteen seventy the first one of ten pounds scots from the customs of aberdeen the other one of twenty shillings from the borough mails or city rents of the same town an entry in the records of aberdeen for fourteen seventy one states on the authority of the original roll now lost that the latter was expressly granted to him for the compilation of the book of the acts of king robert i in a passage occurring in the latter part of this work he himself tells us that he was then compiling it in the year thirteen seventy five all that is further known of him is that his death took place towards the close of thirteen ninety five besides his poem commonly called the bruce 
another metrical work of his entitled the broit or the brute being a deduction of the history of the scottish kings from brutus is frequently referred to by the chronicler winton in the next age but no copy of it is now believed to exist of the bruce only one manuscript was till lately supposed to be extant a transcript made in fourteen eighty nine preserved in the advocates library and it was from this that the last and best edition of the poem was printed by dr jameson in quarto at edinburgh in eighteen twenty but another manuscript dated fourteen eighty eight has since been discovered in the library of st john's college cambridge it appears to have been printed before the close of the sixteenth century a patrick gordon gentleman as he designates himself the author of a metrical work entitled the famous history of the renowned and valiant prince robert surnamed the bruce king of scotland which first appeared at dort in sixteen fifteen alludes to barber's previous performance on the same subject as the old printed book and mr david lang in a note to his edition of dunbar edinburgh eighteen thirty four page forty states that he is possessed of an edition of barber's poem in small quarto and black letter which although it has lost the title page appears to have been printed at edinburgh about the year fifteen seventy the oldest edition known to dr jameson was an edinburgh one of sixteen sixteen it was reprinted at the same place in sixteen twenty and sixteen seventy at glasgow in sixteen seventy two and again at edinburgh in seventeen fourteen the title page however being usually dated seventeen fifty eight the first critical edition was that by pinkerton published in three volumes octavo at london in seventeen ninety the last and best is that by the rev dr john jameson forming the first volume of the bruce and wallace two volumes quarto edinburgh eighteen twenty we may notice by the way that gordon who speaks with great contempt of barber's outworn barber's speech and ill-composed and immethodical work tells a story in the preface to his famous history about a still older poem on the exploits of bruce written by a monk of the abbey of melrose called peter fenton in the year thirteen sixty nine a manuscript copy of which old and torn almost illegible in many places wanting leaves yet having the beginning had been put into his hands by his loving friend donald barquarson it was he says an old rhyme like to chaucer but wanting in many parts and especially from the field of Penockburn, forth it wanted all the rest almost so that it could not be gotten to the press yet such as i could read thereof had many remarkable tales worthy to be noted and also probable agreeing with the truth of the history as i have followed it as well as the other one cannot help regretting dr jameson sensibly remarks that gordon instead of bestowing his labour on a new poem had not favoured the public with even the fragments of that written by fenton it would have been something if he had even informed us what he had done with the manuscript if he did not put it into the fire upon finding that he could not read it he writes the date thirteen sixty nine in words at full length but he is evidently not a person upon whose testimony much reliance can be placed as to such a matter it is a suspicious circumstance as is hinted by macpherson the editor of winton's chronicle that that, that writer though he often quotes barber has never once mentioned fenton the scotch in which barber's poem is written was undoubtedly the language then commonly in use among his countrymen for whom he wrote and with whom his poem has been a popular favourite ever since its first appearance by his countrymen of course we mean the inhabitants of southern and eastern or lowland scotland not the celts or highlanders who have always been and still are as entirely distinct a race as the native irish are and always have been from the english in ireland and to confound whom either in language or in 
any other respect with the scottish lowlanders is the same sort of a mistake that it would be to speak of the english as being either in language or lineage identical with the welsh indeed there is a remarkable similarity as to this matter in the circumstances of the three countries in each a primitive celtic population which appears to have formerly occupied the whole soil has been partially expelled by another race but still exists inhabiting its separate locality in all the three cases the maritime and mountainous wilds of the west and retaining its own ancient and perfectly distinct language the expulsion has been the most sweeping in england where it took place first and where the welsh form now only about a sixteenth of the general population it has been carried to a less extent in scotland where it was not effected till a later age and where the numbers of the highlanders are still to those of the lowlanders in the proportion of one to five or six in ireland where it happened last of all the new settlers have scarcely yet ceased to be regarded as foreigners and intruders and the ancient celtic inhabitants still covering although not possessing by far the greater part of the soil the larger proportion of them however having relinquished their ancestral speech continue to be perhaps six or eight times as numerous as the saxons or english for in all the three cases it is the same saxon or at least teutonic race before which the celts have retired or given way the welsh the scottish highlanders and the native irish indeed all to this day alike designate the stranger who has set himself down beside them by the common epithet of the saxon we know that other teutonic or northern races were mixed with the angles and saxons in all the three cases not only were the english who settled in scotland in great numbers and conquered ireland in the eleventh and twelfth centuries in part french normans but the original normans or danes had in the eighth and ninth centuries effected extensive settlements in each of the three countries besides the original english were themselves a mixed people and those of them who were distinctively saxons were even the old hereditary enemies of the danes still as the saxons angles and jutes were as one people against the scandinavian danes or their descendants the french normans so even saxons and danes or normans were united everywhere against the celts as for the language spoken by the lowland scots in the time of barbara it must have sprung out of the same sources and been affected by nearly the same influences with the english of the same age nobody now holds that any part of it can have been derived from the picts who indeed originally occupied part of the lowlands of scotland but who were certainly not a teutonic but a celtic people lothian or all the eastern part of scotland to the south of the forth was english from the seventh century as much as was northumberland or yorkshire from this date the only difference that could have distinguished the language there used from that spoken in the south of england was probably a larger infusion of the danish forms but this characteristic must have been shared in nearly the same degree by all the english then spoken to the north of the thames again whatever effect may have been produced by the norman conquest and the events consequent upon that revolution would probably be pretty equally diffused over the two countries in the twelfth and thirteenth centuries both the normans themselves and their literature appear to have acquired almost the same establishment and ascendancy in scotland as in england we have seen that french was the language of the court in the one country as well as in the other and that scottish as well as english writers figure among the imitators of the norman trouvere and romance poets afterwards the connection of scotland with france became much more intimate and uninterrupted than that of england and this appears to have affected the scottish dialect in a way which will be presently noticed but in barbara's day the language of teutonic scotland was distinguished from that of the south of england which had now acquired the ascendancy over that of the northern counties as the literary dialect 
by little more than the retention perhaps of a good many vocables which had become obsolete among the english and a generally broader enunciation of the vowel sounds hence barber never supposes that he is writing in any other language than english any more than chaucer that is the name by which not only he but his successors dunbar and even lindsay always designate their native tongue down to the latter part of the sixteenth century by the term scotch was generally understood what is now called the gaelic or the erse or erish that is irish the speech of the celts or highlanders divested of the grotesque and cumbrous spelling of the old manuscripts the language of barber is quite as intelligible at the present day to an english reader as that of chaucer the obsolete words and forms are not more numerous in the one writer than in the other though some that are used by barber may not be found in chaucer as many of chaucer's are not in barber the chief general distinction as we have said is the greater breadth given to the vowel sounds in the dialect of the scottish poet the old termination of the present participle in and is also more frequently used than in chaucer to whom however it is not unknown any more than its modern substitute ing is to barber the most remarkable peculiarity of the more recent form of the scottish dialect that is not found in barber is the abstraction of the final l from syllables ending in that consonant preceded by a vowel or diphthong thus he never has ah fa fa or foo pow how for all fall full po ho etc the subsequent introduction of this habit into the speech of the scotch is perhaps to be attributed to their imitation of the liquefaction of the l in similar circumstances by the french from whom they have also borrowed a considerable number of their modern vocables never used in england and to whose accentuation both of individual words and of sentences there is as much general resemblance throwing the emphasis contrary as already noticed to the tendency of the english language upon one of the latter syllables and also running into the rising in many cases where the english use the falling intonation the bruise is a very long poem comprising between twelve and thirteen thousand lines in octosyllabic metre which the two last editors have distributed pinkerton into twenty jameson into fourteen books it relates the history of scotland and especially the fortunes of the great bruce from the death of alexander the third in twelve eighty six or rather from the competition for the crown and the announcement of the claims of edward the first as lord paramount on that of his daughter margaret the maiden of norway in twelve ninety the events of the first fifteen or sixteen years however before bruce comes upon the stage being very succinctly given to the death of bruce robert the first in thirteen twenty nine and that of his constant associate and brother of chivalry lord james douglas the bearer of the king's heart to the holy land in the year following the twelve thousand five hundred verses or thereby may be said therefore to comprehend the events of about twenty-five years and barber though he calls his work a romant as being a narrative poem professes to relate nothing but what he believed to be the truth so that he is to be regarded not only as the earliest poet but also as the earliest historian of his country forden indeed was his contemporary but the latin chronicle of that writer was probably not published till many years after his death and to a great extent barber's work is and has always been regarded as being an authentic historical monument it has no doubt some incidents or embellishments which may be set down as fabulous but these are in general very easily distinguished from the main texture of the narrative which agrees substantially with the most trustworthy accounts drawn from other sources and has been received and quoted as good evidence by all subsequent writers and investigators of scottish history from andrew of winton to lord hales inclusive
this is barber's own introduction of himself to his readers and the passage besides explaining the design of his work affords a fair example of the worthy archdeacon's manly bearing and forcible and cordial style stories to read are delightable suppose that they be not but fable then should stories that suthest were and they war said on good manner have double pleasance in hearing the first pleasance is the carping and the t'other the south fastness that shows the thing right as it was and such thing as that are like and till manners hearing are pleasand therefore i wall fain set my will gift my wit might suffice there still to put in writ a suthastory that it lest i firth in memory swa that nay time of length it let nergur it holly be for yet for old stories that men reads represent to them the deeds of stalwart folk that livet are right as they then in presence war and certes they should well have prize that in their time were white and wise and led their life in great travail and oft in hard stour of betail won right great price of chivalry and war voided of cowardy as west king robert of scotland that hardy west of heart and hand and good sure james of douglas that in his time so worthy was that of his price and his bounty in fur lands renowned it was he of them i think this book to me now god give grace that i may sway treat it and bring it till ending that i say naught but suthfast thing some of the grammatical forms here it may be observed are even more modern than those we find in the english poetry of the same age in particular barber uses our present they them and there or in the old spelling thy them and thar where chaucer and his countrymen still adhere to the saxon hey or he or hem and her or her this may serve with other considerations to refute the notion taken up by some modern writers that barber is an imitator of chaucer the bruce in fact is an earlier poem than the canterbury tales and as it was written by barber in his old age the probability is that the scottish poet was absolutely the predecessor of the english but at any rate there is no more reason to believe that he imitated chaucer than that chaucer imitated him the one is never mentioned or alluded to by the other and there is no ground for supposing that they were even acquainted with each other's works from his habits of locomotion and frequent journeys to england a suspicion might arise that barber intended to write in the language of that country but such a supposition is negatived by the dialectic peculiarities which notwithstanding a general resemblance in other respects still distinguish his style from that of his english contemporaries that his language we may add has not been modernized by the transcriber upon whom we are dependent for the present text is to a great extent proved by several considerable passages of the poem which are quoted by winton being found with scarcely any variation in the work of that chronicler of which we have one manuscript believed to be of as early a date as the year fourteen thirty at the latest or within little more than a quarter of a century from the time when barber lived besides his language as we have it does not differ from that of winton who was his contemporary although he was born perhaps thirty years later and although he appears not to have composed his chronicle till after the commencement of the fifteenth century barber is far from being a poet equal to chaucer but there is no other english poet down to a century and a half after their day who can be placed by the side of the one any more than of the other he has neither chaucer's delicate feeling of the beautiful nor his grand inventive imagination nor his wit or humour but in mere narrative and description he is with his clear strong direct diction in a high degree both animated 
and picturesque and his poem is pervaded by a glow of generous sentiment well befitting its subject and lending grace as well as additional force to the ardent bounding spirit of life with which it is instinct from beginning to end the following passage which occurs near the commencement has been often quoted at least in part but it is too remarkable to be omitted in any exemplification of the characteristics of barber's poetry he is describing the oppressions endured by the scots during the occupation of their country by the english king edward i after his deposition of his puppet balliol and gif that ony man them by had ony thing that west were thy as horse or hund or other thing that war pleasant to their liking with right or rang it wold have they and gif ony wall them with say they should swadu that they sultan other land or life or live in pine for they dempt them after their will to can nay kep to right meskill ah uh, what they dempt them felonly for good nightis that war were thee for little as shoon or then nane they hang it be the neck bane all's that folk that ever was free and in freedom want for to be through their great mischance and folly war treated them so wickedly that their fays their judges wear what wretchedness may man have mare ah freedom is a noble thing freedom may's man to have liking freedom all solace to man gives he lives at ease that freely lives a noble heart may have nane ease nay else naught that may him please give freedom fail you for free liking is yarnet o'er all other thing nay he that i has livet free may not gnaw well the property the anger nay the wretched doom that is couplet to foul full doom but gif he had as say it it then all perquere he should it wit and should think freedom mare to prize than all the gold in world that is it is he goes on to observe by its contrary or opposite that the true nature of everything is best discovered the value and blessing of freedom for example are only to be fully felt in slavery and then the worthy archdeacon who although the humorous is not his strongest ground does not want slyness or a sense of the comic winds up with a very singular illustration which however is more suited to his own age than to ours and may be suppressed here without injury to the argument but barber's design no doubt was to effect by means of this light and sportive conclusion an easy and harmonious descent from the height of declamation and passion to which he had been carried in the preceding lines throughout his long work he shows for his time a very remarkable feeling of the art of poetry both by the variety which he studies in the disposition and treatment of his subject and by the rare temperance and self-restraint which prevents him from ever overdoing what he is about either by prosing or raving even his patriotism warm and steady as it is is wholly without any vulgar narrowness or ferocity he paints the injuries of his country with distinctness and force and celebrates the heroism of her champions and deliverers with all admiration and sympathy but he never runs into either the gasconading exaggerations or the furious depreciatory invectives which would it might be thought have better pleased the generality of those for whom he wrote his understanding was too enlightened and his heart too large for that his poem stands in this respect in striking contrast to that of harry the blind minstrel on the exploits of wallace to be afterwards noticed but each poet suited his hero barber the magnanimous considerate and far-seeing king blind harry the indomitable popular champion with his one passion and principle 
hatred of the domination of england occupying his whole soul and being we will now give one of barbara's portraits that of sir james of douglas the second figure in his canvas all men love it him for his bounty for he was of full fair effer wise curtais and debonair large and lovened alls was he and our all thing loveth lawty lawty to love is gentlemanly through lawty lives men righteously with a virtue and lawty a man may yet sufficient be and but lawty may nane have price whether he be white or he be wise for where it faileth na virtue may be of price nay of value to make a man so good that he may simply call it good man be he was in all his deedis leal for him de dined not to deal with treachery nay with falset his heart on high honour was set and him containeth it on sick manier that all him loveth that were him near but he was not so fair that we should speak greatly of his beauty in visage wessie some deal grey and had black hair as it heard say but of limus he west well made with banus great and shoulders braid his body was well made and leany as they that saw him said to me when he was blithe he was lovely and meek and sweet in company but way in battle might him see all other countenance had he and in speech lisped he some deal but that sat him right wonder weal till good hector of troy might he in many things like can be hector had black hair as he had and stark limbs and right well made and lisped also as did he and wes fulfilled of beauty and was curtis and wise and white but of manhead and mickle might till hector dare i name compare of all that ever in world is where the weather in his time say wrought he that he should greatly love it be the only other passage for which we can make room is a short extract from the narrative of the great day of bernockburn which occupies altogether about two thousand lines of the poem or the whole of the eighth and ninth books of dr jameson's edition there might men see men felly fight and men that worthy war and white do many worthy vassalage they fought as they wore in a rage for when the scottish archery saw their fayes say sturdily stand in to battle them again with all their might and all their main they laid on as men out of wit and where they with full strake might hit there might nay armour stint their strack they to frush it that they might o'er tack and with axes sick dushes gay that they helms and headis clave and their fays right heartily met them and dang on them doughtily with warpins that were stithe of steel there was the battle strecked wheel so great din there was of dints as warpins upon armour stints and of spears so great rusting and sick thrang and sick thristling sick gurning granning and so great a noise as they gan other bait and ensignies on every side givand and taken woundis wide that it was hideous for to hear all their four battles with that were feckland in a front hallily ah mighty god how doughtily sure edward the bruce and his men among their fairs counting them then feckland in so good cavine sa haughty worthy and so fine that their varward rush it was and meagre theirs left the place until their great rout to warund they went that tain had upon hand so great annoy that they were afraid for scottus that them hard arrayed then 
than for in a shill from all what happened to that fight to fall i trow again he should not rise their men might see on many wise hard immense of it doughtily and money that white war and hardy soon lined under feet all dead where all the field of blood was red arms and whites that they bear with blood war so defile it there that they might not destroy it be almighty god wa then might see that stuart walter and his rout and the good douglas that was so stout fechtend into that stalwart stour he should say that till all on hour they wore worthy that in that fight so fast presseth their fairer's might that them rushed war they yeed their men might see many a steed bleand on stray that lord had named ah lord wa then good tent had tamed till the good earl of moray and his that so great routes gave and fought so fast in that batale tholand sick pains and travail that they and theirs made sick debat that where they come they made them gat then might men hear in sinis cry and scottish men cry heartily on them on them on them they fail with that so hard they gan assail and slew all that they might our tay and the scottish archers all sway shot among them so deliverly and grieven them so greatly that what from them that with them fought that swa great routs to them wrought and pressed them full eagerly and what for errors that felly mani great woundes gan them ma and slew fast of their horse elswa that they wand just a little way they tread so greatly then to day that their covine was war and were for they had fetched with them were set hardiment and strength and will and hard and courage alls their till and all their main and all their might to put them fully to the flight this it must be allowed if not quite a homeric strain is strenuous and valiant writing for a scottish archdeacon advanced in years of the fourteenth century End of section thirty one